Well, this morning, uh, to those who are online, those who are visiting with us this morning, we are continuing. Our theme of the year really is Jesus in action. But as of recently, we have been looking at both God and Jesus. And uh, so today, the title of our sermon this morning is When the King Hungers, Generosity Towards the Poor is Generosity Towards God. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for bringing us together as a collective people. Father, we are your church. And we come here this morning to engage you. We come here this morning to worship you. We look to connect with you. Father, as we break open the true bread, your word, God, we pray that it would fill us up. Father, that we would, our hearts would be open to what you have to say to us this morning and that our lives will be the hands ready to carry them out. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's hop right into it. Matthew chapter 25, verse 35 through 36 says this. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Jesus spoke these words when he was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and his second coming. And there would be a time when Jerusalem would fall and many Jews would be in poverty, needing food, drink, and clothes. Many would become sick, even some in prison. Now, the king in Jewish parables usually refers to God, but in this one, it likely refers to Jesus. And so King Jesus, who is God, says he is hungry, he is thirsty, he is a stranger in need of an invitation. He needs clothing, and he would even be imprisoned. Now, this can be hard to grasp as seen in the response of the righteous and those on his left. Here's what they have to say. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or in needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? You know, when the king hunger and thirsts, how would you give to him? How would you give, what would you give a king to drink? When the king needs clothing, how would you dress him? What clothes would you give the king? How do you go visit a king who's in prison? Well, we continue on. In verse, in verse 40, he says, then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Throughout scripture, God and Jesus both show how they have a connection to people. 
specifically those who belonged to them. Those who were generous and visited his people during a time of persecution, they did it for God. Think about that for a moment. You know, it makes me think about when Jesus had to address Saul personally when he says, why have you persecuted me? Well, wait a minute. Jesus had already died and rose from the dead and even descended back into heaven. And then he has a, has a visitation with, with Saul on a, on a road to Damascus and says, you're persecuting me. But he was, what he was saying was, you're persecuting my people. And if you're persecuting my people, you're persecuting me. And so it's the same here. If you feed my people, you're feeding me. Imagine, not imagine, but the reality. When you feed God's people or people in need, you're feeding God. Let that sink in. When you give someone a meal who's in need of it or clothing who's in need of it, you're clothing the king. Which is weird to me because you go, what king needs clothes? What we do for others is liking what we would do for God. We know that Jesus is the exact representation of God, right? Being God's son. And they are concerned. Both God and Jesus are concerned about the poor. Let's go to Leviticus 19, verse 9. Here's what the Bible says. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord, your God. You know, gleanings took on various objects through scripture. Gleanings could be stones, they could be manna, they could be money. It could be firewood. It could be food off the ground. As we'll read in a moment, it could even be falling grapes. But what are gleanings? Gleanings was just the small portions left behind after the main part no longer existed. And so one way we could word gleanings or how this would come about is intentional or intentionally being inefficient intentionally being inefficient. What God is saying here for his people, he's saying when you go over your harvest, you go over this, your grapes or whatever it is that you're harvesting, and some drop to the ground, don't be so efficient to say, well, we got to get that too. He's saying, let it stay. Let it remain. Well, wait a minute. That's, that's more produce for me to make my money. God is saying, no, let it be 
for the poor. Let them have it. So what is God actually saying to the harvesters, though, who have the concern? I got you. Don't worry about that. The harvest will come in. You will have more. But as you're going through and you're harvesting and you're doing it, you're getting it. And some fall on the ground. We may go, oh, I got to get that. God is saying, no, let it be. Because the poor is going to need that. They need to have that. This law was one given to the people of Israel and how they needed to interact with the poor. They needed to be mindful of those that didn't have as much as they had. They needed to be mindful of those who couldn't live up to the the social norms of how to provide for themselves. And God was like, I'm concerned about them. You know, being generous with the poor or the foreigners or the disadvantaged wasn't grounded in being socially woke to the things of our society or their society, but it was connected to God's holiness. Consider what Leviticus 19 Verse 1 and 2 says, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Holy is defined as pure and devoted. There were other behaviors connected to God's holiness. One, respect for the parents. You hear that, children? Even adult children? Respect for the parents is connected to God's holiness. Declining and making idols out of metal or other gods themselves was connected to God's holiness. Making proper fellowship offerings that would be accepted on your behalf was connected to God's holiness. That's an offering thought, part two. What you give to God on your behalf is connected to his holiness. Then we get down to the poor. So when you harvest, leave what falls to the ground for the poor because it's connected to my holiness. Wow. To be generous is connected to God's holiness. In fact, it's connected to yours. Because he says, be holy because I am. So when I'm generous, I am being devoted. I am being pure like God. Gives me a whole whole different way of thinking about this, being generous. You know, there's a blessing in being generous. Consider Deuteronomy 24, 19. It says, when you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. God continuously repeats this stuff. You ever notice how God repeats, 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 repeats? Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, 
and the widow. Now he's adding different social statuses of people. The fatherless, the widow. So that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Now, wait a minute. If I'm generous, connected to God's holiness, God is saying, when you do that, I will bless the work of your hands. So what is God saying? So when you are intentionally inefficient, well, wait a minute, I got to make that money. God is saying, believe it, and I'll still bless the work of your hands. So what is God saying? He's saying, in our language, I got you. Don't worry about that. See, when you think of somebody else and you're leaving something for someone else because of my holiness, I'm going to bless you. I got you. I get it. It's a concern. You're like, man, I'm leaving stuff behind. I got to make that money. I need it to add to my business. God is saying, I got you. I am going to bless you. I'm going to bless the work of your hands. So how does this look? Let's go to Ruth chapter 2. This is a little bit of a read. About 18 verses, 17 verses. But I, I, I'm a believer and let's just let the word speak. Ruth chapter 2. In verse 1, it says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out into the field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. I'm going to pause for a second. What a way to greet somebody. You come into the fellowship. You see your brother and sister or not. They don't even have to be a Christian. And you just say, hey, the Lord be with you. And what a, what a response. The Lord bless you. Just a little, just, that's just a little nugget to drop on the ground for y'all to pick up if you want to. <laughs> Verse 5, Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, who does that woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go. Get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. 
At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you noticed me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her something, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the, bar the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. That's a powerful story. Everyone is in need of generosity. You may hear their story when you reach out to the poor. I think it's a good idea to ask them, what is their story? Not that that should determine if you're going to be generous or not. But I think it just shows more kindness when you say, tell me your story. Boaz treated Ruth with dignity. She was in need. He didn't go, what you doing here? And I try to think about this in our day. What does that look like? If, if I got a business and I see somebody on my property picking up stuff, my first thing is, what you doing here? Because the police is on the way. Right? My workers are probably going to call me and say, hey, we got somebody out here. You want us to call the popo? But Boaz was like, no, I've... I've told my workers not to touch you. In fact, leave out some more for her to gather. Boaz was a man of God who saw that being generous was connected to God's holiness. It's all good when we allow the scriptures to move our behavior. That's a good foundation. Now he didn't throw that in his, he didn't even throw that into her face. Well, because the law told me I had to do it. Mm -mm. 
The law told his heart, and he was moved by it, and he did it. He didn't, he didn't need to throw in her face that it was what well, the law told him, the scriptures told him, and this is just what I got to do, but he made it his own. And that's what she received. So how can we emulate Boaz's generosity? Well, I think one, inquire about those in need. Verse 5, Boaz said, he asked this overseer of his harvesters, he says, who is that young woman? Ask, who are the people in need? Who are they? Ask your house church leader. Do we have anybody in our group that's in need? Ask your community leaders. Are there, are there people in our community, is there, is there a way we can help serve the people in our community, in our neighborhood, on our block? Ask the people at your work, your schools. Be intentional about it. Inquire. Number two, help them help themselves. Verse 8, so Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. And don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. He gave her an opportunity to work, to get it, to help herself. It doesn't always just have to be a handout, but just let her go and work and get it. He didn't just say, hey, bring Ruth the food. Bring Ruth the gleanings. He says, no, you go, you can work behind them leaving her with her dignity. Helping the poor doesn't always mean you just have to give and give them a handout. It's also helping them to help themselves. Number three, if it's possible, provide what hasn't been requested. Look at verse nine. He says, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Ruth didn't ask for water. She wanted to glean. But Boaz, understanding that it's work, you're going to get thirsty. Hey, when you're gleaning, while you're helping yourself, make sure you go and get some water that I've already had the guys fill up for you. It's there for you if you want it. She never asked for water. But Boaz being proactive, thinking, you know what? She didn't ask for this, but I just want her to know it's there if you need it. Lastly, be generous with your words. Verse 12, he says, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I like that. He told us, man, I, you didn't come to take refuge under my stuff. It's under God's. May you be blessed by the God of Israel. See, Boaz knew where his blessings came from. And he didn't throw in his face saying, you know, you coming under my roof, you got my stuff. No, no, no. He was like, you came under God's refuge. You know, this, 
This culture of this story can be a disconnect for many of us. Like I said earlier, we know we may think, man, this is my property. You see somebody in your backyard going through your stuff, going through your garbage, going through your, you may think, man, I got to, rightly so, we're in a different time. But there are ways that we can help other people. There are ways we can be intentionally inefficient. Let's look at a few of those ways. Transforming lives, embracing generosity through charitable acts. You know, we're connected with hope worldwide as a family of churches. That's an opportunity for us to give through. Today is the second Sunday. We give towards hope every second Sunday. That's one way we can help others glean or help others gather. Number two, generosity through community organizations. We work with Altspace. Imagine Inglewood uh, If, as uh, Vanita talked about. Angela talked about another opportunity this morning where we can go and serve on Thanksgiving. If you can't, if you can't be generous with your time that day, maybe you can't be there, that's okay, but you can, you can bring a meal. You can bring a dessert, like she said. You can offer money. There are ways for us to be generous. Number three, how about share the meal? You know, we, we in the holiday season, we're going over somebody's house, right? There's always leftovers. Well, I'm going to take me two plates. And that's cool. That's cool. Take you two plates. But just let one of them plates be for someone who doesn't have one. Well, I'm going to need two, so I'm going to take three then. <laughs> so then I would say, yeah, I think you're missing a point. But, <laughs> but if that's where you are, amen. Take your, make your three, right? But share the meal. Share the meal. Number four. Join the cause. I know that for many of us, we have a heart for prison ministry. We currently don't have one in our region that I'm aware about. But there are other people, other organizations that we could join up with if that's where our hearts are. If you want to start one here, man, let's have a conversation. Let's see how that would work. But in the meantime, we can join up with other organizations that are doing prison ministry. Remember, if we go and see our brothers and sisters who are in prison, some of our brothers and sisters in the faith may be there for past issues. That doesn't mean that they're not Christians, though. And they need ministering to. Let's close out with Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 30. I'm looking at this passage now in a whole new light. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What will you eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? I tell you this, 
if you didn't have these things that would be hard to understand. But he goes on and says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith. Hmm. The necessities of food and drink and clothing are genuine worries for those that are lacking them. And advising them not to fret without actively assisting them can be unkind. Well, I don't have nothing to eat. I don't have nothing to food. Well, the Bible says don't worry about it, but be cool though. Be cool. While we drive off or walk off and go into our homes and go eat our meals, hey, be cool, though. God got you. Okay. But what if we're the hands of God that's supposed to get them? Well, Mike, I can't feed everybody that I walk down the street. God's not asking you to do that. God is not unrealistic. God is not unreasonable. But if it's within your ability to act at that moment, then act. If it's not, it's okay. But there will be a time, as Jesus says, the poor will always be among you. And I, I've, I've wrestled, every time I talk about the poor and I, and I think about Jesus' words and I think about some are fighting their entire lives for something that will never end. Well, we need to kill poverty. I, I get the heart of that, but you're going you're gonna to be frustrated. I think instead of us trying to kill something that Jesus says will always be here, what we can do is help alleviate the, the severity of it. By helping the poor and sharing, hey, I know there's going to always be poor people, but what we can do, we can help serve them. And if we all think as a collective, what can we do? What can I do? Then I think this is this is the passage that really is true. You don't have to worry because my hands will get you. My hands will. Well, you're the hands. I read this passage about the connected passage about yet not even Solomon was in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. I think it was Queen Sheba who went to visit Solomon and she was 
solely impressed with this place. She was like, man, you got this, this, that, and the other. Look at your palace and you got your servants. And man, this is, you are rocking up in here, Solomon. But then God says, but the, the earth wasn't even clothed. Solomon wasn't even clothed like the earth was, like I do it. And he was rich. But he still paled in comparison to what I would do in taking care of the world. Now, we, what, we gotta, what we gotta understand, when we talk about meeting the needs of the poor, if we're poor, it's not about meeting what, what they want, but what they need. Even if we're the ones that's poor, it's not about God meeting with what we want. Well, God, I want surf and turf. I, you know, I'm going to need lobster dip with butter sauce and all that other. God, like, man, you better take this sandwich. And <laughs> but if God blesses you with surf and turf, amen, whatever. But let's just make sure they're not wants, but their needs. I love this passage because through our generosity, God communicates to the impoverished, I got you. Don't worry. And while God doesn't rely on us to fulfill others' needs, he urges us to partake in generosity, not just to fulfill needs, but to participate in his holiness. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for you being a generous God, a God who takes care of all our needs. As Xavier said earlier, you take care of our needs spiritually, more importantly, but you also take care of our needs materially. Father, we know that in this world there will be the poor always amongst us. Let our minds and our hearts be connected to them the way yours is. Father, we may not always at that very moment have change on us to give. But God, if we can buy them a meal, let's do that. Father, if we have clothes that we no longer wear that they may, we may see that someone else can have, let us be conscious of that and give that to them. Father, if we're in a position to buy someone new clothes and you've blessed us and we're able to afford that, let us do that. Father, let us be mindful of our saints who are imprisoned, serving time. Let's figure out ways how we can do that. God, that's not something that's a part of our immediate ministry, but Father, it's on somebody's heart here. And Father, I pray that you give them the courage and the means to pursue that so that we can truly be like those of the righteous when we say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or in need of clothes or imprisoned? And your reply would be to us in spirit, whenever you did one of these for the least of my brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Father, we love you. We thank you. God, we thank you so much for being generous with salvation. Being generous with your grace. It's because of that that we are able to come together collectively, black, white, big, small, rich, poor. We come together as a collective people every week to worship you. Man, God, thank you so much for that. Thank you so much, Jesus, for living within the will of your Father. 
Holy Spirit, thank you so much for raising him up from the grave that we too may have hope and that we too will resurrect to a new life. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.